following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. The first candle, which is purple, is called the prophecy candle. It symbolizes hope and is lit in remembrance of the prophets, especially Isaiah, who foretold the birth of Christ. It represents the expectation felt in anticipation of the coming Messiah. For the first reading, this first Sunday of Advent, we'll be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and, the little chi- and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." On the day of the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And this is from Luke chapter 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on the earth. Distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day will catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Thanks, Paul, for leading us in that time of prayer and for reading that scripture. And thanks to all of you who shared. I was sitting at the back just reflecting on the beauty of being in community together in that moment.
and um, that's just really special. I have a couple of announcements to give to you before I do the sermon today. The first is that it is the first Sunday in Advent, if you haven't picked up on that yet. And we have some Advent resources that we have um, purchased from, uh, uh, I want to say a company, but that sounds very sterile, um, a publisher. Let's go with that. They're, they're really good. They're very kind of artisan fitted well, and um, the nature of our uh, purchase agreement with them is that we don't post it online, but we will supply it to you if you want it. And so we have a, a page on the website that says Advent Resources. It's for all ages. There's some for families. There's some for uh, adults. There should be something for everybody in there. And if you want to receive them, all you have to do is go to that website, and then there's a form that you fill out, which I think is just actually your email address, and then we'll send you a, a PDF of those. So if you're interested in Advent Resources for devotional use during this season, go to the website and find those. Uh, and then the things that we've been announcing the past few weeks. Some of them are coming up quickly, like the tree lighting, which is this Saturday um, at 6 p.m. And uh, we are still looking for some help, uh, especially with cleaning up that event after the fact. So if you're a person who's inclined to stick around and close the building down um, and talk a lot and all those kind of fun things, maybe you could just do all those things and then also help with some of the cleanup. Um, but it's just a fun event. Uh, I don't want you to feel like you have to sign up to do some job in order to come and enjoy it. So please come and enjoy this event. We'll have, um, it's all outdoors, so come bundled up. But we'll have a table with um, homemade cookies, which uh, the artisan community will supply for a, a cookie exchange. Um, and we'll have hot cocoa and coffee out there. And we'll sing some Christmas carols around the tree. You know, technically you're not supposed to sing Christmas carols during the season of Advent, but um, we make exceptions all the time, and especially for the tree lighting. Um, this, by the way, is an event that in the past has been a, invite the whole neighborhood and we'll have them inside and we have crafts and it's such a wonderful time. We're just not quite ready as a society for that just yet, but we're getting there. Excuse me. And um, we're excited to do a version of it this year after not really getting to do it at all last year. Second thing, on um, the uh, 12th, which is a week, it's two weeks from today, <laughs> we have our all-comers reception. Not just for newcomers anymore, this is for everybody. It's a chance for us to get to know each other again for the first time. And we'll have some light refreshments and a, a, um, some fun kind of mixer, get-to-know-you games, and just a chance to hang out and, and um, maybe learn a little bit more about artisan. So if you are new, there will be a special um, bit for you. But really, it's just a chance for us all to do it. And as I said last week, we're offering a total amnesty on remembering names or faces <laughs> or um, how we met somebody two years ago or any of that stuff. We're just going to agree that we're all starting fresh. So. And then lastly, of course, we have Christmas Eve services. Those are on Christmas Eve this year. Um, we are doing them at 4 and 6 p.m., and I just heard back from our ASL interpreter. She will be here for the 4 p.m. service. So if you have people who would benefit from that, um, encourage them to come at the 4 p.m. service. And um, we're doing two services so that we have plenty of room to space, uh, to, to space ourselves out, even if you bring family members and stuff, as sometimes you often do. So looking forward to doing Christmas Eve in the room again. And uh, all that stuff is going to be good and fun. So, All right. The season of Advent. 
I feel like Advent is, uh, even among people who kind of have had a, a low church, non-liturgical type of experience, like the one that I grew up in, are still familiar with the, the uh, season of Advent as a liturgical season, as, as a time on the Christian calendar. Um, more so Advent than maybe some of the other seasons of the church year that we celebrate here. But if you're new to that kind of thing, uh, Advent is very simply a season of waiting and anticipation and preparation for the coming of Jesus. Advent just means onset or coming or arrival. Uh, And so traditionally, this is thought of in a few ways. Now, if you grew up like I did, where you barely celebrated Advent at all, um, probably for fear of being too Catholic or something, um, you are familiar with the idea of waiting for the birth of Jesus, right? It's sort of, we sort of imagine ourselves as the people of God, the Israelites, waiting for the Messiah to be born, right? And so you get passages like the one that was read at the call to worship today, or the, the passage from the prophets that the lectionary assigns today, which is Jeremiah 33, that says, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. I think most of us are familiar with that aspect of Advent, kind of imagining ourselves viscerally uh, waiting for the coming of the Messiah, which has already happened. But there's a second meaning to Advent, which I didn't uncover until later in my life, Um, and you'll see why very soon, I think, which is it's, it's the waiting for the return of Jesus. It's waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And that's where you get passages like the gospel reading that was read just a few minutes ago. And how many of you are hearing that passage read or reading along on the screen going, whoa, you know, you've got all this natural disaster stuff happening and it doesn't sound like super pleasant. And I think most of us um, are not necessarily familiar with and definitely not very comfortable with that more apocalyptic version of Advent. I think we would all prefer to do the spiritual version of sitting on the couch with the record player playing Vince Guaraldi while we sip our hot cocoa, <laughs> looking at the twinkly lights on the Christmas tree, <laughs> thinking about, oh, this is such a nice, warm, fuzzy time of year. But we have to deal with that other type of Advent, too. And I would say this, that I think there's also a third type of waiting or anticipation that happens um, happens all the time, but maybe especially this year, we might be attuned to this type of waiting, which is the, it, it's not so much waiting for Jesus to be born or waiting for Jesus to come again. It's more like waiting for everything. How many of you feel like you're waiting for everything to happen or maybe to stop happening this year, right? How many of you get a, um, my lesson that I learned over the holidays this year is turn off your New York Times notification when you're having Thanksgiving dinner because you do not want to hear about the variant of concern that has just been identified while you're having your stuffing. We're all waiting for the end of COVID, whatever that's going to be, right? And we all know that it's going to be with us forever in some way or another, right? But we're waiting for it to stop being the thing that we have to think about every day. Maybe you're waiting for healing in a relationship, and it's been years, and maybe you're finally seeing some signs of life and love and peace and healing, but you've got a long way to go, and there's a lot of waiting yet to do. Maybe you're waiting for a better job or to be done with school. Maybe you're waiting for politics that aren't so divisive. Maybe you're waiting for neighborhoods that aren't so 
violent or policing that is not so aggressive or for schools that can thrive rather than facing closure. You could fill in your own blanks. I am waiting for... Now, of course, these things are not, most of them explicitly named or even hinted at in the scriptures that we are assigned to read during the season of Advent. But they certainly come to mind as areas where we need Jesus where we would want God's presence to break through into the world in a supernatural and noticeable way, where we would want God to bring healing and justice, not just way back then, not just sometime in the distant future, but right now. And so in many ways, the season of Advent is a perfect season for our time. And it's fitting that we had our congregational prayer today and we lifted all the prayers of the community to God because this sermon is about praying for strength. You may have caught at the end of that gospel reading if you weren't still kind of like going, ugh, from all like the waves and the blood and the moons and all that stuff. That it, it concluded by saying, be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So here we have a hint of something practical, a simple spiritual practice during Advent, which is simply to pray for strength. This is one of those things that feels too simplistic. Okay, pastor, yes, we'll pray for strength, like we always do. It's almost facile, but... Maybe you might want to ask yourself the question that I asked myself when I encountered this, which is, when's the last time I actually tried that? I don't know about you, pretty much the only time I ever say, Lord, give me strength, is when I'm being sarcastic. Like when certain people in my life are bugging me a lot. (laughs) Lord, give me strength. That that version of Lord give me strength is not a very sincere prayer. I wonder if we could make Lord give me strength a sincere prayer during the season of Advent. And you might say, well, it's just the very end of that passage. That's not even really the focus of that gospel passage this year. You're just trying to avoid all the apocalyptic stuff. Well might be easy to dismiss it, except that it comes up again in one of the other lectionary readings. Here. This is First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me find it, and then I will read it to you. Did you know that the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, are placed in order by length? Romans is the longest one. Then 1st and 2nd Corinthians. These are all the letters of Paul. And then they get shorter and shorter. So you get to the ones that you can barely find because they're so short. (laughs) And you think to yourself, next time I'm going to put a bookmark in the Bible rather than do a very poorly executed sword drill in front of the whole church. (laughs) 
pages are so thin. Here we are. <laughs> oh, I should have just turned around and read it off the screen. First Thessalonians 3, 9 through 13. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So practical Advent practice. Pray for strength. You see it in the Gospel reading. You see it in the Epistle reading. Very very simple, isn't it? Except, pray for strength to do what? It doesn't seem, from the context of these two passages, that it's just... Pray for strength to get through a hard time that you're going through. Although, Lord, hear our prayer. May you have strength to get through the hard times you're going through. Some of them are heartbreaking, just the ones that were shared today and others that you and I are both aware of. But no, this is, this is a specific prayer in, in both cases to, to have the strength to persevere in holiness. A very brief definition of holiness, because I think this is one of those words that I, I've been on this kick lately, noticing these words that take on a meaning above and beyond what the scriptural context might justify, and then suddenly they have that meaning, and whatever definition some leader assigns to them, you can be held to that definition, and if you don't fall, or if you don't, if you fall short of it, then you are out of fellowship, right? And holiness is a big one of those words because we think of holiness as like holier than thou. Holiness as like um, doing everything right, not sinning at all. And if you're not holy, then you are in obvious contradiction to the plain teaching of Scripture and we, we can say whatever we want to you about that, right? But holiness is simply um, sacredness, uh, a setting apart And it always has a particular usage, like the thing that's being set apart. It's holy for a reason. And so holiness simply means being set apart by God for a purpose. And yes, that does ultimately mean we hope and pray that our sins will be fewer and smaller. But if we restrict our definition of holiness just to that, then I think we're missing a huge part of the puzzle. We need this strength to persevere in holiness, to make it through until what? (laughs) Well, until all that apocalyptic stuff. In both cases, that's what it's saying in the text. So, if you, like me, (laughs) were hoping that you could just ignore that aspect of Advent and go back to the couch with the hot cocoa and the Vince Guaraldi and all that stuff, Well, you can only do that if you're willing to ignore some pretty big passages of Scripture that the lectionary gives us during this season. So, 
we have to deal with that stuff somehow. And, and yet, we don't really know what to do with it, do we? So maybe it's not such a practical, spiritual practice after all, this praying for strength. By the way, I don't know about you, but when it comes to interpretations of those apocalyptic texts, the second coming of Jesus, all that stuff that will happen off in the future someday, I find that the interpretations of those texts that seem really, really certain about the exact meaning of them, that will be um, lived out and experienced at a, a very specific unfolding of events, at a very specific time in the future, I find those interpretations always seem to be connected to the snake oil version of Christianity. And it definitely makes my, let's call it my baloney detector. <laughs> it makes it go, <laughs> Those types of interpretations, I find, are always based in fear. And if there's one thing that's clear when Jesus raises, rises from the dead and starts visiting with his disciples again, it's that they are not to be afraid. Those types of interpretations, which are very certain in their application, uh, seem quite arrogant to me. And, and, and actually, and this is the, maybe the biggest red flag of all, they're always connected to a plea for money. Either send money to the preacher on TV or give money to the church or buy my prepper doomsday buckets of junk. Right? And also, <laughs> I've looked into this. They have a 0% accuracy rate. <laughs> so far, every date that's been named has not ended up being the date. So, I do feel that we can be somewhat safe in um, not taking too seriously those interpretations of these apocalyptic passages that seem very, very sure of themselves. Maybe that's just a self-protective measure since I do not at all seem sure of myself when it comes to interpreting these texts. But I'm just not interested in orienting my life around that kind of spirituality. And I couldn't in good conscience preach those apocalyptic texts with anything close to the level of confidence that you sometimes see. I guess I'll just say one last thing about that, which is that <clears throat> a lot of those passages start making a ton of sense when you remember that the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was destroyed about 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. So if you were to keep in mind that that event is still in the future when Jesus is giving the teaching that he gave in today's gospel reading, it might make sense on a different level. And as a bonus, it might free you up from some of the fear and worry you have about the end times. All right. But meanwhile, what do we do with these passages? Because they, they're, they're as clear as mud. I've just told you I don't have an answer for you in how to apply them specifically. I've just told you I don't have the key that unlocks the, the, the detailed meaning for, for what's being predicted in those passages. And so in some sense, I might be telling you I don't know what we're supposed to be waiting for during this Advent season in that second meaning. 
But I do have something to offer you, I hope, which is this. Something that I try to do when I come to a place in the Bible that goes off in a mysterious or abstract direction and I just I find myself going, what? And it's kind of a version of the lesson that I tried to convey during the last series on thankfulness, which is the spiritual practice of starting small. Have any of you been able to try starting small, giving thanks in and for certain things? The idea is that when you come to a passage like this that has all this lofty language in it, you just say, let's put a pin in that part. And you turn your attention to the parts of the passage that you can immediately do something with. And here's the really neat thing that I've discovered. Very often, if you put a pin in this stuff you don't understand, and you start taking action in responding to the parts that you do understand, you, get to, you, you begin to get some clarity on those confusing parts. I can't explain why it happens, but I know that it does. So, the part of the gospel reading today that says, essentially, be careful that that day doesn't catch you, you know, unawares, like a trap. It says, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth, and then sets up that be alert at all times, praying that you have the strength to escape these things. That's, that's one of those apocalyptic, foggy, kind of confusing, mysterious passages, but it's preceded by this. Be on guard that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy, but that's a lot clearer to me than the seas having big waves in them and the star and the sun and the moon and blood in the sky and all that stuff. And by the way, if that isn't a lesson for the pandemic era, I don't know what is. Be on guard that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. What I'm about to say to you, I want you to know, is in no way intended to come across as you just need to stop worrying about stuff, right? Because I worry about stuff all the time. What I want to say to you from this passage, well, I'll ask you a question. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands or put anything in the Zoom chat, Answer it in the quietness of your heart, as we used to say. How many of you have had your hearts weighed down with dissipation? How many of you feel yourself wasting away a little bit in this time? How many of you have been preoccupied with the worries of this life? And the question that nobody wants to answer, so nobody ever bothers to ask it, but I think is a really, really very specific and important question for some of us in this time. How many of you have been self-medicating with substances way more than you ever did in the past? So that you're weighed down not just by dissipation, but by, as the text says, drunkenness. I know that some of you have been in that boat. And that's not to shame anybody. But the numbers just bear out. Now, believe me, nobody, least of all me, is, is saying that you shouldn't feel the weight of this time. 
In fact, I think one of the problems that we have as a society is that some people are refusing to feel the weight of this time, right? But my sense is that that's not a, that is not the particular problem that's present in the artisan church community. It does seem to me to be a practical teaching in this gospel passage. Again, it's the part that we can understand and we have put a pin in the parts that we don't understand in hopes that we'll get back to them. It seems to be a practical teaching that if your life is not just occasionally feeling despair but is oriented toward despair all the time, and especially if you feel yourself wasting away or getting drunk every night to cope with it, then you actually do have a very specific thing that you can target during this Advent season. My encouragement would be to control what you can control and to get help as needed for the things that feel out of control. You might need to get therapy. You might need to be more intentional about spending time with your friends, even if it's just over yet another Zoom call. You might need to be seeking out deliberate recreation as best you can in the winter in Rochester when the numbers are going up and stuff seems less accessible. So, there is a little bit of a practical teaching in, this, in the middle of this apocalyptic gospel passage. And here's the thing. I think you can do a similar thing with the other reading from the epistles from, from First Thessalonians. It has a similar bit in it about um, being holy so that you'll be blameless at the return of Jesus. Again, that's pretty apocalyptic. Whatever the return of Jesus is, means, is going to be, whenever it's going to take place, all of that stuff, it's hard to put a handle on it. But there again, that confusing stuff is preceded by something more practical. And that's, that's Paul saying along with his co-author, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. There's a very specific kind of pain that he's hinting at here. It's the pain of being separate from those that we love. Once again, it's sort of a text for our time. And there's a specific prayer that he puts in there as he's writing it out to rectify it. And may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. He has wanted so badly to visit with these people he loves. And he's praying that God will make it possible. And tied right into it is a specific hope that it will restore whatever is lacking in their faith. This is, there's not an easy answer here. There's not an easy way to apply this, but I do think it is more practical than thinking about being holy and blameless on the day of the return of Jesus. And and once again, I would say to you that if you want to be holy and blameless on the day of the return of Jesus, whatever and whenever that is, that it might be smart to start small. And honestly, I see something so simple and practical in this passage, which is essentially that you don't neglect the community that is offered to you. That you actually be together with people particularly with people who share your faith convictions and commitments. 
So that could be as simple as going to brunch. I didn't mention the brunch in the announcements, but there, brunch people, you got a little, <laughs> you got a little teaser. Some of you are not comfortable yet or able for various reasons to be in person with groups of people. And I know that you're weary of trying to do all the accommodations, but I really do see in this text the suggestion that accessing these relationships is one of the ways that will sustain us as we wait for all the things, including the return of Jesus. And then, maybe the most important part of all, the prayer goes on in First Thessalonians. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. Here's the other problem with some of those really self-confident, self-assured, specific, apocalyptic interpretations. They make you take your eye off the ball of loving one another and all. <laughs> By the way, isn't it, wouldn't it be nice if you just left off that and all part? <laughs> Let's just love one another, the people we agree with, the people we've uh, self-selected to be in community with, <laughs> And the others can go love themselves, <laughs> as St. Justin Bieber said. <laughs> I know exactly one Justin Bieber song, and that's it. But <clears throat> love one another and all. Increase and abound in your love for one another and for all. I'll leave you with a quotation from St. Hildegard of Bingen. By the way, um, look up St. Hildegard's Wikipedia article. It's pretty amazing. This is how this person's uh, CV starts out. She's a writer, a composer, a philosopher, a mystic, a visionary, and a medical writer and practitioner during the High Middle Ages, one of the best-known composers of sacred monophony, as well as the most recorded in modern history. She's been considered by many in Europe to be the founder of scientific natural history in Germany. And she's a canonized saint in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so science and religion go great together. <laughs> um, as long as you serve them uh, on the right way. Anyway, here's what she said. Invisible and eternal things are made known through visible and temporal things. So that says to me, get your heads out of the clouds for a minute. Stop worrying about the sweet by and by for a minute. Don't get distracted by the confusing, apocalyptic aspect of Advent for a minute. Rather, notice those things that are visible and which are temporary because they will point you to that which is invisible, and eternal. So as we pray for strength, here's my prayer for you today, and for me today. May God grant you strength. Yes, strength for perseverance 
strength for holiness. But may you receive that strength, not from some lofty spiritual revelation, but from the visible temporary things that surround you in everyday life. And when the waiting seems like too much, when the strength doesn't seem to come, may you return to love. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.